Hello, Great Minds. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History as we get ready to explore one of the wonders of the ancient world. So you may have noticed towards the end of the episode on Cleopatra that I hinted at a library that stood for more than a century by Cleopatra's reign that seemed to be a fitting symbol for her reign. That is, it reigned supreme in its field like her, and then it all burned to the ground. At least, metaphorically. Or in this case, maybe literally. I don't know. We'll see. I guess really not the most fitting of symbols, as this famous piece of history did not fall as fast as our great mind in history. So today I figured we'd take a second look at one of Cleopatra's most loved and famous haunts, the Library of Alexandria. You might like me ask yourself, was it really that special? The answer, yes. Was it like a normal library? No, it was more like a fancy college with a museum that had no religious bias or affiliation, meaning that it clearly didn't exist in 21st century Florida. And then you might ask, was it a wonder of the ancient world? No, it turns out, but for some reason I keep screwing it up with the lighthouse at Alexandria in my mind, so I figured we'd maybe talk about those too. And to do that, I am kicking back an Anise, specifically Hermes Uzo, or Hermes Uzo, I don't know, either way. It's a Greek, not Egyptian Anise. Why? Because Egyptian drinks are much harder to find on the shelf. I mean, sure, Cleopatra was the first Ptolemy to take a moment to actually learn the Egyptian language, embrace Egyptian culture, and not act like she was just another Greek outsider. But her dynasty, if not fully, she her herself was some combination of Greek. So let's have our first sip of this drink that we will be drinking for the rest of the saga because I paid for the whole bottle. Black licorice. It's it's licorice. It's I've never I don't know if I've ever had an anise. It's, it's interesting, but there's a fun thing you can do with the, this drink. So with this anise, uh, most anises, you can actually uh, pour cold water in it and it'll turn a milky white. I found that on the internet and then it was like a magic trick. I felt like a fucking scientist when I poured the cold water in there. So that was fun. So I'm drinking this like milky white uh, ouzo. It's kind of, kind of fun. I don't know. A lot going on in that class. Very interesting. And I've rambled too long about that. Well, let's get to it. The Library of Alexandria. It burned down. Fucking fires. Am I right? I mean, we've covered them before, and they can be quite destructive. If you are a history nerd, then you would probably say that the most devastating fire in history did not burn Nero's Rome to the ground or Charlie II's London, or Notre Dame Cathedral or Chicago or Joan of Arc. No fanboys and girls of the mysteries of the past, also known as history, would always say that it was burning of the Library of Alexandria and all of the knowledge it contained within its fabled walls that was the greatest fire-based tragedy in history. The secrets it held that we will never know, and all because Caesar and Cleopatra inadvertently destroyed it forever. Oh, fucking contraire, mes amis, they did not. Unsurprisingly, and rather perfectly, the infamous library fire that blazed during Cleopatra's reign is a story filled with as much misconception as that of our great mind. In the end, it was neither Caesar nor love that destroyed this intellectual hub, this cherished place of learning. Nope, instead, it was politics and religion that begot the destruction of knowledge. Sir fucking prize. Sir fucking prize? I'm not fucking surprised. So let's talk about this library and the architectural pantheon to which it most certainly did not belong, the seven wonders of the ancient world. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me, it's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. 
So the Library of Alexandria was a true example of Ptolemaic thinking. Who really cares about your faith? Let's buy a bunch of books and build a fucking library that people will ramble on about for millennia. That sounds like a good idea to me. So the library was actually just part of a larger entity known as the Museon. Museon? M-O-U-S-E-I-O-N? Museon? I'm going to go with that. Named for the muses, goddesses of the arts, and proclaimers of heroes. Heroes like Hercules. Honey, you mean Huncules. No, seriously, that's a great cartoon, though. And you can see a lot of these wonders right in there, including the statue of Zeus that we're going to talk about later. But in all seriousness, it was like a research-based liberal arts college that actually had the library of all libraries within it. First commissioned during the reign of the first Ptolemy, showcasing the Greek appreciation for learning, I mean, this isn't really surprising. Ptolemy was Alexander the Great's sidekick. Alexander the Great was tutored himself by Aristotle. Knowledge is an important part of Greek culture. In fact, the library was said to be founded by a Greek in exile, Demetrius of Phalion. It is more likely that the library was not formally built until Ptolemy II's reign during the 3rd century BCE, some 200 years before Cleopatra was using it. Most scholars would agree that it was during his reign that the famous library was built. And under the Ptolemies, it thrived. It quickly grew into one of the largest libraries in the ancient world, second only really to its chief rival, the Library of Pergamum. Its many works were categorized in different ways over the centuries, but initially set up in the following categories, rhetoric, law, epics, tragedy, comedy, poetry, history, medicine, math, and natural sciences, plus sort of a potpourri category as well. The number of texts continued to grow as they were seized from travelers and copied, or they would be purchased from other libraries. In short, if the Library of Alexandria and its scholars did not have a text, and you did, they were going to get it, they were going to take it, copy it, and politely give it or a copy back. Or maybe sometimes just say fuck it and keep it for themselves. In fact, quote, from the ships was even a category of record, as ships would be boarded and searched for any text the library did not already have. Originals would typically be kept, and a copy would be returned to the original owner. Most texts were either an Egyptian, which no Ptolemy could read until Cleopatra, or Greek. And then came Caesar, who was trying to fight off Ptolemy Thirteenth and Arsinoe. Ooh, I, I think you might say it Arsinoe, but Arsinoe is how I said it in the show, so I'm going to keep on with that. During that Alexandrian civil war, attempting to cut off access to the sea and stop his rivals from having any advantage, he set a fire to a series of ships and docks which spread quickly to the library. And here's where most people stop. Yes, some 40,000 of the rumored 400,000 eventual scrolls that would be housed in the Library of Alexandria did burn in this fire, along with a portion of the general building and structure. But the learning, that kept going on for centuries. In fact, Cassius Dio notes that the fire only probably destroyed a warehouse, so why so much drama? I don't really know. I guess the same reason that we sit here and focus on the temptress that was not Cleopatra. Well, kind of was, but not only. Either way, fuck it. As late as 20 BCE, scholars were still noting works done at and visits to the Library of Alexandria, and later Roman visitors would try to remedy this intellectual injustice of its decline. Connecting to our great mind, this library's legacy was not extinguished by flame during her reign. Instead, it was ignited or reignited or invigorated by love. As the stacks of Alexandria were filled with thousands of works, were rumored to be shipped out of the Pergamum Library by Mark Antony. At the very least, this theft worthy of the British Museum showcased Cleopatra's ambitions to see the library continue to grow and flourish as an epicenter of learning. Some 200,000 scrolls were rumored to have been spirited out of Asia Minor to Cleopatra. I mean, Alexandria. No, I fucking mean Cleopatra. So what, then, in the end, was the death of learning and knowledge? 
why that would be religion, and not just Christianity for a change. In fact, rather out of character, many of the texts were burned during Muslim rule. Again, that is surprising as learning and math and other smart shit was kind of, you know, the Islamic world's thing. After Cleopatra, things did go downhill. Roman rule was mixed, some tried to expand it, others let it crumble. By the Christian period of Roman history, this kind of learning was seen as paganistic and probably fucking sinful. By 260 CE, references to scholarship at the once great library had all but faded, and the institution seemed to reach its end. Then in 1642, Alexandria was captured by Muslim forces whose leaders supposedly remarked, If those books are in agreement with the Quran, we have no need of them. If they are opposed to the Quran, destroy them. But this may have been a lie, a sort of fabrication made by Christian priests and historians at the time. Either way, the library and its collections seem to crumble and fade out of historical memory and importance, at some point being totally discarded and or destroyed. At its height, though, the Library of Alexandria may have been home to over 400,000 scrolls, but like Cleopatra, it fell to Rome. None of its scrolls survive today, however, the library did carry on in smaller institutions like the Serapium, which is considered sort of a daughter or sister library to the Library of Alexandria. At its height, it was a true wonder of the ancient world, except as I said, it fucking wasn't. So I guess let's take a second to look at those, because I brought them up. As to the seven wonders of the ancient world, well, I have always been fascinated by these. In Cleopatra's day, well, maybe earlier, they weren't known really as wonders, but instead theamata, or sight, basically shit you want to see. They would have been all over someone's, you know, ancient Instagram page, I don't fucking know. This is terribly different, however, from the Greek word for wonder, theamata. Theumata. I haven't taken Greek, I actually did take Greek for three semesters in college, thank you very much, but I haven't done it for a long time, so if I said that wrong, I doubt you even know it, but still. Those are basically the same words, sights, wonders, that doesn't really change what they are, but they were wonders. And although most are lost, they were so amazing that they remain a piece of history, the stuff of legend that was actually fucking real, for the most part, and only one still remains intact. So let's start with the boring ones that no one ever remembers, the two in Asia Minor, the Mausoleum at Halicarnassus, and the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. Ephesus? Ephesus. I say Ephesus. The former was completed around 351 BCE as a tomb for Mausolus. The big news for me here was that the word mausoleum actually comes from this Greco-Persian king and the tomb that he built. Mind fucking blown. It stood until a series of earthquakes left it in ruins. And as we will see is true for many of our wonders today, it stood strong until a series of earthquakes and other natural disasters left it in ruins. As to the latter, well, it should probably have been the former, as it was built around 550 BCE in Ephesus, Turkey. Which, of course, wasn't Turkey then. From floods to fires, this temple was left in ruins by the 5th century CE. What remained was said to be destroyed by an arsonist. By an... Oh, I can't say that word very well. By an arsonist. Although one of the less famous, probably my least favorite, it was said to be one of the most amazing by one traveler who claimed to have visited all the wonders, when he said, quote, Lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on, aught so grand. But some sources indicate that fire and flood may not have been the final nail in the coffin for the Temple of Artemis, as a Christian-era inscription found on the site reads, quote, Destroying the delusive image of the demon Artemis, Demius has erected this symbol of truth, the god that drives away idols, the cross of priest, deathless and victorious sign of Christ. I guess the library wasn't the only victim of religious and Christian expansion. 
Of course, then there's the massive statue of Zeus at Olympia that may have been just big enough to satisfy Zeus's ego. The statue itself, which was about as old as the Temple of Artemis, stood, well, sat at 41 feet tall, laced in ivory and gold-plated panels. The statue survived until the 5th century CE, but was damn near destroyed in the 1st century when Emperor Caligula tried to have all the statues in his dominions beheaded so he might replace them with his own image. That, thankfully, did not happen. So this is really just another temple to the gods that fell into dismay and disuse with the rise of Christianity. It may have been moved to the Palace of Lossus in Constantinople, where it may have been destroyed by a massive fire. Either way, we're not quite sure. Then there's my favorite one, the Colossus at Rhodes. There is something about this 108-foot-tall structure that just sounds awesome. Built by Charles de Lindos in 280 BCE, it was destroyed by an earthquake in 226 BCE. But its ruins remained a tourist attraction for centuries. In all, it took more than a decade to build. And I will note that some accounts say that it only stood around 105 feet tall, but that's still fucking impressive. One myth that I think sits in people's minds pretty firmly is that it straddled the harbor upon entering Rhodes. It really actually just stood off to one side. As I stated, the ruins of the statue were so impressive that, that people visited them for more than 800 years. Earthquakes were certainly the primary reason for this colossus's fall, but not even the ruins could survive a tidal wave of Christianity that would later flood the tiny island. And then there is the one that might not be real, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. These amazing gardens were said to be built around 600 BCE as part of the Palace of Nebuchadnezzar II of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, but we have no clue if they even existed. One historian, Stephanie Daly, Daly? Yeah, Stephanie Daly, has pointed to the Sennacherib Gardens under the Assyrian king Sennacherib as the true wonder, but who fucking knows? Can't say when they disappeared, as we have no fucking clue if they even existed, but conversations about them seem to cease around the 1st century CE. But let's move to Egypt. This is the chaser to Cleopatra, after all. Of course, Egypt contains the only one that is still fucking wonderful today, the one that puts the ancient in the ancient wonders, the Pyramids of Giza. Although the limestone facade that once laced the pyramids has been all but looted and stripped away, the structure has stood since 2584 BCE. Hell, Cleopatra is closer to our time in 2023 than she was to the time when the pyramids were built. What is even cooler for me, other than the fact that they still stand, is that these pyramids are constantly having new mysteries unearthed. And then there's the final wonder that we haven't yet discussed, the Ptolemaic Wonder, the Lighthouse of Alexandria. In a way, I am saving the best, or at least the biggest, for last. Placed on an island off the Alexandria Harbor that was notorious for causing shipwrecks, it was of such strategic importance during the Alexandrian Civil War that Caesar even made note of it, in his accounts of the conflict. The Lighthouse of Alexandria was a wonder of a more modern world that stood over 300 feet tall. And in case you don't realize it, that's like three colossal colossi. It was the most recent wonder to be finished, commissioned by Ptolemy I and finished by his successor Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, the same guy who built the library. It took more than a decade to complete, and it was one of the few to survive into antiquity. However, the structural integrity of the lighthouse was weakened by a series of earthquakes during the long 9th century, and again by two more earthquakes in the 14th century. Islamic leadership made repairs following an earthquake in 956 BCE, but it was damaged beyond repair in the 1300s. What remained was replaced by a fort in 1480 by the then Sultan of Egypt, Kaitbe? Kaitbe. I don't know. I really am having trouble with words this episode, but in 1916, the submerged ruins of the lighthouse were first described in text and not fully rediscovered until 1968. The watery legacy, however, of the lighthouse and much of Cleopatra's Alexandria brings us to another interesting topic, Cleopatra's tomb. Yet another thing lost to time. 
The tomb of Antony and Cleopatra has not yet been found, but it is likely in the submerged portion of Alexandria or a surrounding area. More recently, archaeologists and divers have found passageways that may lead to a major discovery, but nothing certain yet. Our Egyptian queen will remain lost for now. So let's talk drink. Giving a nod to Cleopatra's Greek roots, and because the Egyptian stuff was just too hard to find, I purchased a bottle of, of Hermes Ouzo, which is a Greek anise liqueur, which basically tastes like black licorice and is off the bat not my favorite, but I will be drinking it all month because I bought the whole bottle. In terms of taste, it is smooth, but not for me. It's very bitter, but if you like that kind of drink, I would say it isn't that bad, and I honestly have to experiment a little more with it, so I plan to make cocktails for it during the Psych and Shots episodes. Take another sip now, just to be sure, because this milky little drink is pretty tasty. Originally, I planned to give this about three points for taste, but I'm going to go ahead and bump it up to four. Price was great, though. The whole bottle only costs $14.99, and it is smooth. Perfect price for someone trying to experiment with this booze for the first time. Six points for being very affordable. And I guess I would split return down the middle too. I don't want to speak too soon, but I'm certainly not going to be sipping ouzo every night after dinner. But it really is kind of growing on me. I will give it four points with high hopes that the upcoming cocktails will be so refreshing that I can't help myself but come back for more. So Hermes Uzo leaves the show with a nice 14 out of 18 points and a safe 5 crowns, but we will see if that changes as the month goes on. Well, that's it. If you enjoyed this little episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, then let me know on Twitter or Instagram at DGMH History or at the Drinks with Great Minds in History podcast Facebook group. Yes, it's more than just a Facebook group. And be sure to leave the show a great, hopefully, five-star review wherever you listen. I don't know if it helps, but it certainly helps make me feel better about all the hard work we do. If you were, And we love to hear your thoughts. So if you're looking for even more Drinks with Great Minds in History, then we hope you'll consider supporting the show over on the DGMH Patreon page. There, listeners can get access to all sorts of bonus content available to supporters of all levels. From bonus last call chats, from your favorite Psych and Shots episodes, to extra moments with Mr. DGMH and Cullen, plus what I'm teaching Washington's words, Chellen, Chellen chats. <laughs> Cullen chats China, Pete chats Portugal, another moment with Mr. DGMH on the 30 Years War, and pregame episodes where we catch up, chat history, and, ans and answer listener questions. So let's wrap this up. I will say I have no fucking clue why I always think the Library of Alexandria is a wonder of the ancient world, but maybe it should be. My love of learning and knowledge and dusty libraries must be swaying my opinion, but I'm not alone. The Bibliotheca Alexandria, which opened in 2002, is an attempt to rekindle the legacy of this would-be wonder of the ancient world. So today we raise a glass of Greek booze to a Greco-Egyptian library and all the lost wonders of the ancient world and the pyramids, which somehow are still fucking standing. And to that I say, cheers. Cheers.